What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? I go by the name of Jabari. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And this is the Words with Friends podcast. And right now, I have a good friend of mine in the building. And that building is my house. Um, Will Sharp, CEO and director. And what do, you, what do you like to call yourself? Do you like to call yourself a CEO? That's a weird name. Creative director, mm-hmm. owner. Owner, founder. Yeah. Uh, the HNIC, except he's not an N. Um, <laughs> now nah, my man Will Sharp from Durkle. What's up? What's going on, man? How much? Sitting in LA, figuring it out as we go. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. Absolutely. This is a crazy journey. Um, for all you guys that do not know, Durkle is, I don't want to just say a streetwear brand, but Circle is a clothing company, uh, was founded and started in D.C., um, and has moved its headquarters to Los Angeles, um, but has really done some really cool things independently uh, in the streetwear and just clothing game in general over the past, what, nine years now? Almost ten, yeah, I think we're at nine 2005, yeah? Yeah, so nine years. You know this better than I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, how I was introduced to Durkle is I was obviously going to school in D.C. at Howard, and uh, Lucas Pierce was running around the city doing marketing for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and just introduced me to the brand. I think I might have shot an email or something like that. I was trying to get some clothing sponsors for the videos that I was doing at the time, interviews with all these artists in D.C., um, and Durkle was the first brand to really get behind my stuff, man, and, and support the work that I was doing on YouTube and, and lace me with some clothes that I could wear when I was interviewing these artists. And I just, I just felt like you guys were definitely one of those first brands, if not the first to just really support what I was doing, man. So yeah. I got to thank you for that, man, for Believing in me as a as a You're welcome, young, man. young blood. You're welcome. And yeah, man. Let's talk about just DC in general, man. And I obviously had Modi on the podcast. Yep. Who's a DC native as well, D- DMV native. Um, but when I was, we talk about this a lot, just you know, in general. But when I was there, I got to Howard at. In 2005, uh, graduated college in 2009, mm-hmm. and I literally saw the change in D.C. happen sort of right before my eyes. You know, mm-hmm. it was like when I first came to D.C., people were getting robbed outside of my dorm room for snapback hats and fitted hats, actually. Really, like, that was that's no joke, you yeah. know? Like, and, um, and then when I left D.C. in 2009... There were, you know, uh, white women jogging in the, in that same neighborhood, um, and you know, the, the, a lot of people had moved out, or you know, the, it was just changing. There was all these new stores, and mm-hmm. you know, gentrification at its finest was sort of happening. Um, so, how how has DC been? Like, where exactly did you grow up in DC, and how's the how's the chain been seeing it? I grew up outside in Kensington, Maryland, mm-hmm. and then went to high school in D.C. And so, um, 
was weird. When I was a kid, I didn't... I didn't understand where I was from, really. I just knew that, you know, there's so much of this place I didn't need to explore, and I loved it. It was, it was you know, this, this huge place that I loved to kind of learn about, and, you know, going to school in D.C. got me to, to start that, and I think that, you know, for a while, um, I thought I kind of knew it. Mm. I was 15, 14, 15. And then uh, I went away, I went to school in Southern Virginia to college in the woods. And after I graduated, I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. I gotta go straight to like a con- like the most concrete I can find. So I moved straight to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I don't even think I stopped at home. I got in my car, I went straight to Brooklyn. <laughs> and after like three months in Brooklyn, this is in 2003-ish, I went in to see a, uh, someone was leasing me space and it was an artist and she was covered in paint. She was like a fine painter Mm. and she was leasing out her quote unquote art studio in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And I could see on her face, she couldn't believe that kids like me wanted to come live there and pay the rent that she was asking for Mm -hmm. because it was kind of right around the time when, uh, uh, people who weren't real, die-hard, cheap-rent-seeking artists were moving to Williamsburg. It was, it was right when Brooklyn was kind of turning into what it is now. And I realized right then that if this is happening in Brooklyn, why can't it happen in Washington? Mm. And so I think like five months into my New York stay, I moved back to D.C. with the goal that I would do something that would help change Washington in a way that Brooklyn was, and that was, you know, turning an all but forgotten part of, you know, this urban landscape into something that people wanted to be a part of and create in, and, you know, I think that you need, you need a space like that for people to, you know, throw spaghetti on the wall and see if it sticks, Mm -hmm. you you know, if you want to live in Manhattan right now, and grind your way to the top like you're not starting in Manhattan you gotta you gotta gotta find three thousand dollars for rent you know day one which so I just remember thinking you know it's it's a town that I grew up loving and I didn't know why and I think when I got out of college and moved to Brooklyn I realized why and that was there was so much there and nothing anyone was seeing people came and they wanted to get out and there weren't a lot of people in the creative community that were actually trying to come out in a public way and try to, you know, push it forward. And so I thought, God damn, there's so much amazing architecture. There's so many amazing people there. There's so many kids that, you know, clearly want to do this. There's just no one, you know, outgoing, putting it out there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I moved back and in my parents' basement, I started Durkle. So, okay, take me to that point when you're moving back and and you're going to your parents' basement. What are you trying to do? Because, you know, I I know that this is more than just a clothing company for you, which I want to talk about a little bit later. But was it at that age, you know, like nine years ago, were you thinking like, okay, I'm trying to... Okay, you know, you just wanted to make clothes. I was cynical. Mm. I thought I could get rich quick. I thought I was smarter than everyone. 
Mm. I thought I knew what to do. I thought I knew... I thought that my equation for the clothing industry was way better than anyone else's. Mm. But I think that's the reason that everyone gets into it. Or anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the initial spark. You gotta, you gotta be dumb confident because... Yeah. It's like everyone says, you know, if, if I knew what lied ahead, I don't think I would have done it again. It's, you know, you have to, when you're an entrepreneur, you're creating something out of nothing. And you got to get creative to figure out how the fuck that works. And so when I first started, I wanted to, well, when I first started, the landscape was totally different. There weren't, like being an independent clothing designer, there really wasn't anywhere to sell it. You know? Yeah, yeah, You yeah. could... The boutiques at the time were selling... Well, is that just in D.C.? Because there was places to sell it in New York. Yeah, a few. It Some was, places to sell it in L.A. Yeah, it was very, very, very niche. Mm-hmm. And there was no definition of it. It was kind of borderless. And so people were literally... Kids were designing clothes and then selling their clothes to a few shops that sell this kind of stuff. So someone like, um, God, at the time, there was Prohibit in New York. There was this little t-shirt shop called Stack House. It was actually all around uh, Lafayette Street. Um, There was Union. I don't even remember if Union was in LA yet or not. Um, Like Triple Five Soul was down in Lafayette Street or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they had a store. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of like do-it-yourself clothing, independent, it wasn't really in this new thing called streetwear yet. Mm-hmm. Streetwear obviously was a thing and had been a thing huge when I was a kid. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, every childhood photo of me is wearing like a Stussy hat. Holding, yeah, yeah. Holding like my kitten. Um, but there was kind of no lane. Mm. And, um, anyway, so I started just, just clueless and I, I still remember, well, I don't still remember. I, I I was forced to remember because as we come up on our tenure, I want to do something to kind of remember what we've been doing. And I worked so hard to get, you know, ahead and think ahead and keep moving forward that I never look back. And I remember thinking to the other day, like, God, I remember sitting at my desk a desk that I, my, the room I grew up in when I was a little kid, out of college, starting this brand. And, you know, a, a lot of people want to talk like they, you know, want to do something and have these dreams. But, like, when you're there and it's day one, like, you want to be a rapper? What do you do day one? Like, <laughs> go buy a microphone and yeah. start recording? Do you go to a studio? Like, what the fuck do you do? Mm-hmm. And so I got my mom's yellow pages and I started looking for screen printers. And I flipped through the pages and I thought I was hustling so hard, calling every screen printer, being like, will you print me, you know, six Mm -hmm. (laughs) t-shirts? And, you know, that's when I was like, yo, I'm, 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 I'm working so hard here. But obviously doing nothing, you know? (laughs) So is that, did you start designing on the computer and then going to the screen print? And then being like, like, what was the first piece of, you know, Durkle clothing? I'm sure it was a t-shirt. Oh, yeah, t-shirt, printed t-shirt. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, again, going back to the kind of distribution thing. 
whenever I talk to people and the first thing they ask me is, you know, if you were me, like a young kid who wanted to start again, what would you do? And my first answer is start. Just start. Just, Just do it. Start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I know you think you can do it better than everyone and that's why you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I know that you think that, you know you probably know how to do it better and just all these things, but the hardest thing to do is start. It's easy to do your research and go through and figure out where you want to sell it and where you could sell it and all these things, but, you know, until you really have the product and you want to start, you know, going to store, you just got to commit. And so... um, But what what does that look like now? Is Is that, you know, using Photoshop and all these computer programs that come up with your design? Is that drawing sketches? For a young kid now? Yeah. Um, depends on what market you're going for, but I mean, just committing, meaning, you know, a lot of the internet lets people be critics. And I think a lot of the critics, you hear it with photographers, get it the worst these days. Like, what the fuck's a photographer? I could have done that. Yeah, yeah. And, and my answer is, then do it. Yeah. Just the opportunity cost. To be spending your days learning how to be a good photographer or trying to shoot good photos is more than that person is doing. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> photography, there's very little barrier to entry. You know, you just need a camera. These days, all you need is a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to kind of hate on that. And, you know, clothing, there's not much either. You know, the barriers to entry are a screen printer and illustrator. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, you know, it's crazy. I don't like a lot of stuff in fashion. I don't like a lot of stuff in music. You know, I got my own taste. But when you start doing something like this and you put yourself on the line and kind of go out there and you just commit to starting, mm-hmm. you learn to respect everyone on a certain level. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's agree. like, you know, yeah. I don't like your music. I don't like your approach. But you're in the studio trying so hard and you're, you know... You're in, you're in the grind, and, yeah. and that's respectable, I think, to anyone kind of going for it that, you know, once you, once you, once you decide to go for it, like, you're, you're bungee jumping, and you're yeah. waiting for that, for that line to bounce you back, yeah. but, you know, you're in a free fall pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is that the fact that not every, whenever you're doing something that not everybody else is doing, not everybody is equipped to do, like, yeah. you can, anybody can... No, I'm not hating on people that, you know, lift phones at a desk and talk to people. You know, that's fine. But I'm just saying, anybody can do that. You know what I mean? Of course, there's excellent people at that and whatever. But not everybody can, you know, make a song that is good. Not everybody can, you know, uh, draw things that look decent. Not everybody can, you know, there's just things that not everybody can do. So when you are cultivating whatever skill you have that not everybody can do. Yeah. I think that's admirable in any type of way. Even if you like you said you don't like it, you don't care for it or your taste is a little bit different, you have to respect the fact that somebody's working at something and not everybody else is doing that. Yeah, it's like people, you know, after being in LA, it's funny because everyone has an opinion on celebrities like they know them. And it's like, what? Like you hate Justin Bieber? Fuck, you know Justin Bieber? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Could you imagine being a kid that, like, mom was driving him around, and then the next day he 
has billions of dollars and, you know, that probably puts you in a situation that would leave the person talking about him having no idea what it would be like. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you think it would be great because he has all the money, but it probably fucks you up. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely does. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen a, a little glance of some of those things at, at first hand, man, when you see just people who are hit with the life-changing opportunity sort of very quickly yeah. and how you have to deal with not not just what you have to deal with by yourself but just everybody around you that's really what messes people up essentially is when you're having to deal with not the money or the fame but it's like the people around you yeah. when you get the money and the fame that's the that's the yeah dude that 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 stuff blows my mind i couldn't i couldn't imagine what kind of life that is yeah so so okay so you're you're when did you realize, because you said, you know, you're in your mom's crib yeah. learning uh, yeah. or thinking that you're, you're doing something with the yeah. clothing line, yeah. um, <laughs> going to these screen printers and all this stuff. When do you realize, at what point is there a, a, a level of, okay, I am either doing this wrong or, you know, this is what I need to take this thing to the next level? Here's the thing. When you're young, you don't understand what it's like to have a, to be living with a brain that's like five years older or 10 years older. So when you're young, you think you know everything. Mm. And then you get older and you look at yourself when you're younger and you laugh. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's not to say that isn't good. I mean, the, the re, the, so for me, you know, I thought I knew what I was doing. And then you hit a wall and, it, and it's a fork in the road. And you realize to a certain extent, you're giving the market what the market is selling just a little bit different. And mm. that's not, I guess it is, you know, there's, there's two kinds of people. There's people that innovate or, you know, business people that innovate. And then there's people that copy and, you know, that happens every time. The second you've innovated, you have to protect the shit out of it because there's 20 copies yeah. behind you. Yeah. And that's just how it works. Um, so for me, I got to the fork in the road when I realized, you know, I'm going through the motions. I'm playing young kid with a clothing line. I'm not a young kid trying to push this market and do something new and cool and interesting. Mm. It's like a musician being like, yo, I know how to use it. I know how to play a guitar. So I'm going to get in this like garage rock band that sounds like every other goddamn garage yeah, rock band. Yeah. And, you know. What was it that made you realize that though? Was it just like you're seeing... Trends, um, or you being like, you know, okay, we're just following trends. Or? I, th I think when you start and you really and you think you're doing something awesome, and then you go into a store to sell it, and there's like 20 people Everybody in front of you, like yeah, 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 and there's a store that's selling everything that kind of looks like yours, yeah, yeah, and you're like, shit, all right, <laughs> I learned that lesson, yeah. Um, you know, I'm like, there's a whole world out there and the whole world is contributing to this like creativity and with the internet and communication, that creativity and people building on each other's ideas are happening so goddamn fast yeah. that the second that something, you know, interesting happens, someone's already got the next version, the next version, the next version before, you know, some kid in his parents' basement in Maryland can get there. And so basically I realized that at that point that if I had to basically, if I had to try 
to sell the market a product that I thought it wanted, I didn't want to be in this business. So I made the decision right then and there to do something different. Mm. So I found a tiny little company that was making t-shirts. And what they were doing was they were taking t-shirts and they were beating the crap out of them to where they were like, felt like they were the shirt you've had since you were like a little kid. Mm. And, you know, t-shirt tech innovation hadn't been touched for so long and American Apparel came along and the only thing they did different, you know, back in like 2003 around when I started was, and they were really trendy at the time, everyone was starting to print on them and it was like the new cool thing to print on, was that they were soft. Yeah. And so... This new company that was starting up was making these shirts that basically, that were really beat up. It felt like they, you know, it felt like your favorite shirt that you've been wearing since, you know, you were a kid. I found them, I bought a ton of them, and I started printing um, Native American Indians on them. Just one color prints, huge. Mm. And... I don't remember exactly, but I basically wrote like info at urbanoutfitters.com an email. I was like, yo, you want to buy some? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got an email back and they said, yes. Mm. And at the time, Urban Outfitters was like the only place that I knew, you know, was supportive of kind of like independent TV. That's the only place you could get, you know, a big quantity of shirts into as kind of a designer like me. Um, so I was like, all right, so we sold a bunch of shit to them and they sold really well. And then we sold some more and then they were done and I had money in the bank and I think I had an office at this point, 150 square feet mm. <laughs> in DC. And I was like, fuck, I, th I think I just did exactly what I dreamed about doing. Yeah, you know, yeah. how old was I? I was like twenty. Let's say I was like twenty five or twenty six, probably younger. And I was like, "Fuck!" I just made money. I sold to Urban Outfitters. My friends are like texting me photos of this shit yeah. in Urban Outfitters, like all over the country, and being like, "Whoa, you did it!" And this is amazing. Um, and then I realized that, God, that's not what I wanted to do either. Yeah. So, what, I, what, where did you go from there, and what? Why was that not what you wanted to do? Because, um, well, first, number one, that's my personality. I like to shake shit up and do things different and try things out and take the big risk. And, you know, I think that playing it safe in a creative field would be the same thing as me as to getting a desk job. Yeah. You know, you're, you're kind of out there doing things because you want... Or I want to just, I want to push the market, try something new, see what happens. And if it doesn't, then, you know, shit. But um, playing it safe isn't fun. And it's not, and it's not, I don't think I could, I don't think I could play it safe well. I don't think, I I wouldn't feel good about it. You know what I mean? It's like, then you're part of the group. And I think that I got into this because I didn't feel like I was part of the group and I don't want to be. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, Urban started buying it. And next thing I know, there was 20 brands making like Native American stuff. Then everyone was making these like Native American patterns and all this shit. 
Um, and I remember thinking, God, this is fucking stupid. You know, I made, I did this because I'm part Native American and my father grew up in Oklahoma and, you know, I grew up in a house full of like Native American stuff and just that kind of imagery cemented in my head. It was kind of, it was kind of one of those things where every once in a while I'll have a moment where I'm like, uh, figuratively like flipping the table up and everything off of it in a fit of rage. Mm. And, you know, I'm doing it with like, fuck the industry. Like, fuck this. I'm so pissed off. I'm going to do something crazy. That's going to piss everyone off. And then it works. Yeah. And so at the time it was like, everyone was making stupid, funny shirts. Um, you know, urban Outfitters was buying a, a shirt that had like a donkey on it. That said like ass or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, kids were going fucking crazy. And I was like, fuck this. I'm going to do a shirt that is, like, super soft and crazy and put a Native American, like, Mohawk Indian chief on it. Mm-hmm. And, it and they loved it. And I think that, you know, that was, number one, the first time when I realized that you can be rewarded by being different mm-hmm. in the creative industry it's so hard to do as an artist, you know, you're, you're, you're toiling every day with the fact that like you're broke and you need money and that gas tank needs money. And you know that everyone is making money doing this and this and this and this and this. And it's the same thing. And all you got to do is kind of participate. But if you take that chance and you don't get in line with those people, you know, like an ASAP Rocky's born and it's like, fuck that dude took a totally different lane. Genius. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that I appreciate the most is, you know, people kind of like machete, like hacking their way through a new, a, a new part of town because that's what it takes. Yeah. And again, like it or not, like into the music, into the clothes or not, like you respect those people that are, you know, right now with the trends with like Hood by Air and stuff like that. Not for me. Mm. But I respect the shit out of that. Yeah. Who, what cues was that dude taking? Yeah, I mean, I he think... He was on I, his own lane. Yeah, I think that they set the trend. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. everything now is that just big, bold letters on stuff. Yeah. You know, like, all over the bottom of it. These long shirts that look like skirts. But think about this. When did that guy start his brand? I think it was, like, early 2000s. Yeah, probably around the same time as you. I would love to know how many years he heard people be like, get... What you're crazy? Yeah. What is this crap? No, 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 no. Yeah, I always say this. Like you see people cry at the Oscars when they win one, and it's cliched. And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, next. But people don't really understand that that person that won the Oscar. It's like Lord, right? She just won a Grammy. Yeah. One day she was like recording this shit probably in her parents' basement, yeah. and then like come to this like, whirlwind riding this wave ends with her winning winning a Grammy, like. Holy shit. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and, and and we never see that part of it, you know. We never see the sort of like from, from the beginning. We always see the end. Yeah, we see the end and everyone's like, yeah, it's cliche. Yeah, she yeah. won. Whatever. Her song's been played on the radio forever. It's yeah. like, when she was making that thing, I don't think anyone was like female-led, whatever her style is, mm-hmm. is like really popular right now. Yeah. She was just like, fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my thing. Hopefully, you know, people like it. I mm-hmm. think that that in a creative way is something that connects with me on a really, really deep level. And I think that 
you know, that, that I'm defining Washington, D.C. for myself right now. Yeah. It was like this thing that um, no one was giving a chance. Everyone was like, no, no, no. Everyone I grew up with, everyone I've ever known that has come through Washington or grew up there um, was literally with, looking at their watch like, how fast can I get the fuck out of here? It, to a certain extent, I don't blame them. It was bleak, dude. Parts of it still are. I mean, it's not the you know most cutting-edge city, but my, my kind of vision has always been, why not? Yeah. I hate when people say, yeah, but you can't do that. I used to say to my friends in New York, I'd be like, you know, you know how lazy you all are? You can walk down the street and get the best hamburger in the world and the best this in the world and go to the best art galleries and go to the best shopping districts and shit like that. Like, y'all are lazy. If I dropped you in Des Moines, Iowa, like, yeah. tomorrow, <laughs> you'd fucking implode. Yeah. You can't handle anything but being pampered with, like, all this shit. And, you know, although I love New York, I think it's good to experience all the other shit. Mm-hmm. And be able to, like, you know, traverse, like, a, a different, a harder-to-see place, you know? Yeah, Find like, the beauty in a place that, you know, isn't so goddamn obvious. Yeah. Experience the struggle, I like to say. Yeah, like, exactly. When you're going through the struggle, you know, just just embrace it, you know, and just realize that. Yeah, and, like, with that Urban Outfitters uh, story, it's like, you realize that once you're on the top, once you're, like, at the top, which I thought I was... You don't appreciate it. You're like, fuck, this is what I wanted. I'm here. Whoops. Yeah. The fun part was getting here. Yeah, the yeah, fun exactly. part was getting on the phone, calling the screen printer and having them be like, what? I'm like, uh, five shirts. <laughs> like, <laughs> so what, what happened? When was, what was the next step? So like, what was, all right. So the next step was people were waiting in lines at sneaker stores. Nike SBs were blowing up. Yeah. These stores started popping up and making shitloads of money selling SBs. They had to have a T-shirt that matched the SBs. So I I used to streetwear. Like, I used to go to like grand, random spots in Maryland. Yep. And what was that one store in Maryland? It was in a. Oh man, it was in Frederick, Maryland. It was a what was that? Social store? study. Social study. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I used to go there and get like all my SBs from there. They were in Earth. They used to sell their stuff way back before they closed. Yeah, so people started, you know, these stores started carrying t-shirts. And that was when early streetwear version, whatever we're on right now, I'll just say version two, because I say Stussy, old school Stussy and fucked and shit like that's version one. So version two started coming out. People like Bobby Hundreds started, you know, putting together kind of a, a real, like a real a real lane for designers like me and his brand, the hundreds and other brands. And that was, you know, an independent clothing company that was selling to this kind of youthful market at the time, youthful market, the kids were into, you know, SBs and, uh, individuality and customization and shit like that. And so I was like, fuck, this is what I've been looking for forever. And this is what the market needs. And that is, a lane for kids like me to be able to at least have their clothing understood. You know, I mean, forever I'd have, I'd go into these shops and they'd be like, I don't get it. 
And they, like, what didn't they get? They didn't get the name Durkle? No, they didn't get what the hell I was doing. It was like, okay, why don't I just buy my shirts from, you know, one of these huge companies that comes in here all the time. Like, mm-hmm. even like Triple Five Soul, they were killing it. Yeah. And they were selling branded goods that so weren't they went like... went to Marshalls. That's <laughs> when I stopped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, that was on the rise. And when that was on the rise, that meant there were stores to sell to. So, um, right around when that was happening... My little brother got out of college, and he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And, you know, I came from a family of five boys, and so we were all very, very, very close. And so I basically, like, uh, like headlocked him into my office one day and was like, you're working for me. Mm. He was like, I'm not working for you. And I was like, well, in two weeks, we're going to San Diego. And then after that, we're going to Barcelona. And he was like, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll stick with you for a little bit. So I sat in my office, I wired um, agenda trade show, whatever it cost at the time, like $3,000, $4,000 or something for a booth. This was, again, a moment when I was flipping the table upside down. I was just like, fuck it, I'm putting all my chips in. This mm-hmm. is it. The market's moving in this direction. This is the direction that I want. This is amazing. And for, th- for those that don't know, agenda trade show is... Trade shows in general for clothes are when you come and you showcase the upcoming season's collection of your brand yeah. and all these buyers and retailers come and basically place orders and say, yes, we want this, we want this. And yeah. It's just a, a, a essentially a time to sell. Yeah. A, a brand like mine would go set up a little booth, show what's coming out in the next like six months. Stores come by with all their buyers. They look at the stuff and they... Get to see, touch, meet you, get some, you know, a better understanding of your brand firsthand. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Agenda was tiny at the time. It was a little independent show, uh, catered towards brands like mine. And we'd never done a sales trip like that. We've, we'd never clueless as to what I was doing. And I remember, I'll never forget sitting in my office at a 150 square foot office. I thought I was killing it. Um, thinking to myself, um, I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna totally jump in the water here and and just you know do something different, mm. and um, I'm gonna do it different, but I'm gonna do it different this time, the way that I know how to do it different. Meaning, um, I'm gonna do something that's comfortable. I'm going to do something that I think I know how to design really well. And so I designed a line of clothing that was inspired by like old 1990s WWF wrestlers, old uh, 80s and 90s skate graphics, like Vision Streetwear days, like crazy shit. Because that's how I grew up. And because the market at this time in like the street kind of like counterculture youth was all rooted in like really dark shit. Everyone was wearing dark skinny jeans, like dark hoodies, skulls. I think remember that LRG skull zip up. Yeah, I don't think that was out yet. That but was we're, we're coming up on that. <laughs> okay, yeah. But there was a company out of D- around our area called like Black, not Black Scale. It was like all black. It was like the Christian Audie days. Remember that oh guy? yeah, yeah, of course. What was that shit called? Uh, Von Dutch. Yeah, like whatever that stuff was. <laughs> yeah. um, that was happening, and in like the skateboard community, it was just like really dark stuff. Mm. 
you know, death, skulls, black, um, you know, those kind of tones. And so I made a crazy colorful line. I was doing all over print shit crazy. It wasn't yeah. that big at the time. I found a printer out here that would do them. I made a crazy line. And right before the show, I bought a life-size seven-foot, like six Shaquille O'Neal stand-up <laughs> poster. Yeah. And dyed a bunch of white Levi's jeans, different... Uh, colors i did a yellow a purple and a red mm. literally threw them into the wash with a bunch of dye and they came out these like crazy colors and so um we go to the show yeah me and my little brother land in san diego you know him and i are adults now kind of it's an industry run by kids so we're just fucking partying going crazy day one of the show starts it's cool. We meet a lot of people. And then I think it was three days long. Uh, anyways, long story short, show ends. It was so fun. We met so many people. And we had like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 of store orders. Mm. I was like, what the fuck did we do right? You know? Yeah, yeah. And it was just further assurance that like, you know, rolling the dice works. People, the hardest thing for someone like me or, you know, just an artist to do is to do something that uh, isn't just isn't proven yet. You know what I mean? And you know, I was reassured again. Fuck, that worked. People wanted something different. And I remember the first the first guy that bought our stuff was like, "And I'll take five pairs of those jeans." <laughs> like, these aren't even ours. I didn't say a word though. Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, these are samples we're working on." Cool. Fuck, I had to go back to LA and figure out how to make denim. Um, so that was the start of it. That was the start of actually making garments. We had, we were selling like socks at the time. I learned how to make jeans that after that show. Um, we were doing some sweatshirts in China and some like custom t-shirts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So um, that was kind of the real entrance. And that was when everything kind of came to a head when, you know, the retailers were being established the brands were coming up. There was a scene. There was people supporting each other. There was money. And it was kind of all working out. Yeah. I was like, fuck, this is, this is what I've kind of hoped was going to happen. Yeah, so the scene, the streetwear scene, give me a year around when this is. Um, I'd say like 2007. Okay, yeah. That's 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 when I I mean coming out of high school and into college for me was oh five, uh, and as I got a little bit more into college is when I was just on a streetwear rage. Like, so this is earlier than this might have been two thousand six. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's 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 when to me that's when I was like really I mean yeah. like on on. Uh, you're, you were off LRG, let me guess. Right? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm off LRG. Yep. But I'm on, like... That was the turning point. I'm on, like, uh, <laughs> what were some of the brands that I was really rocking with? Like, um, uh, King Stampede. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Oh, man. Uh, 10 Deep was just coming out around that time. Yep. Um, uh, See, that was the beginning of... Like, someone like 10 Deep has been, been around for a long time. A lot of these brands came around... 2000, 2001, 2003. Yeah. But and 
it was impossible to get anywhere. Mm. But at this time, like right around when this trade show happened, it was like, bam, stores were there. The yeah. internet was pushing people. People were supporting it. Blogs were picking it up. And everyone was talking about it as streetwear. Yeah. And people got it. It was this community thing. It was like, you know, all of a sudden it became this like sneaker culture of clothing. It was like people were collecting it. Where can you get that King Stampede? Like you can only get it at this store. All right, I'll mm. fucking drive for two hours to go to that release. And it was this little tiny thing with a bunch of people participating making a bunch of different shit that all added up into kind of streetwear, which was very cool. Yeah, yeah. So how did you separate Durko from the pack in, in, at that time? Um, I think that... We don't come from action sports. A lot of brands at the time were... I mean, streetwear is really... People like to say it's, you know, the makeup of it is, is, uh, you know, urban meets street, meets skate, meets punk, meets like music, whatever, all in one. But, you know, American streetwear, as we know it right now, is pretty urban. And I think that the reason is, is because you have these stores that used to sell, you know, Fat Farm and Echo and Averex buy the fucking truckloads. Yeah. Have nothing to put on their shelves anymore. Those brands aren't, nobody wants them anymore. Yeah. And so they need, what's the new shit? And so in the beginning of these trade shows, as it got bigger and bigger and Magic got bigger and these brands got bigger and, you know, Crooks and Castles got huge, they had a, they were stupid not to go take the money because mm. the money was there. And so for us, we settled into more of a, uh, at the time, we were more of an experimental streetwear brand, I'd mm. say. Okay. Um, but, you know, for me personally as a designer, I started realizing that when I spent that summer figuring out how to make jeans, I met a guy who was like an old uh, Dogtown guy that was making jeans, and he had his own little line. And I used to go into the factory and he'd tell me about like the chain stitch cuff and all this shit. And I was like, God damn, you know, yeah. the art and the craftsmanship of making garments is a whole different thing than trying to come up with a t-shirt slogan or image that someone will be want to buy. Mm. And so that was kind of when I started getting into the, when I started Realizing that I wanted to do a full line of clothes, start to finish, cut and sew, cut no corners, and basically bring an aspect to streetwear that was never there, and that is quality. And you know, the goal wasn't to rent the biggest goddamn warehouse I could, get the most employees I could, and ship out as much crap as I can. And, you know, have like a pallet fall off the back of my truck and not even care about it because it's just one of 10 million going out. And so I think I decided that maybe like 2008-ish. Um, I think it was about the time when I moved into my first real studio. That was like a big open space art studio, actually on Capitol Hill in DC, which is really funny, uh, overlooking 
out of my design window was the Capitol. And um, I had a fucking tailor's tape. I had a, uh, a cutting table and a, like a measuring table. And I was like, I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a designer. Yeah, it's it. official. Um, and so that was kind of the take from, that was what separated us was we were starting to move into cut and sew and, and taking, taking the core of street, which is printed t-shirts and selling that as a secondary item. Mm-hmm. We wanted to sell jackets first and denim first and button down shirts and then sweatshirts and t-shirts. And, um, it was amazing for us because none of these brands were doing that. Yeah. So we would literally get on a sales call and say, listen, you buy the t-shirts from these huge brands that, you know, are getting a lot of kids in the doors and are getting a lot of hype. Um, but they're not offering you, you know, well-made jackets and stuff like that. And that's what we want to offer. And so we kind of skipped the step of the beginnings of, I don't know, kind of the street scene and went to just a, a kind of like a different version, which was um, kind of designing street from menswear perspective. Okay. You now, know? a lot of times when you try to do something different, yeah. uh, you know, and you have a vision, it's something else that sticks with the public. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, so, every time. So, so what, what? You're sitting here trying to make high quality men's jackets. Yeah. You're trying to make uh, a, a lot of outerwear at yep. the time you guys were doing. I remember I have this like different color, like it was like red, yeah, uh, gray and blue jacket from you guys. It's kind of like a snowboarding ish sort uh, of half zip? jacket. Yeah, half zip. And oh, I yeah. get so many compliments on that thing to this day, and. I think you guys were doing that stuff really well, but was that stuff, was the public, you know, gravitating toward that stuff yeah. as much as you wanted them to? Here's the thing. A lot of these offices, a lot of my, a lot of our competitors at the time were either started by or hired. I mean, some of the best graphic designers in the world. These mm-hmm. kids are so good and their graphic game was amazing. Yeah. And still to this day, I mean, a lot of these brands in action sports have the best designers on their teams, you know, out there. And these illustrators are unbelievable. And it just wasn't a, it just wasn't something that I thought we wanted to compete with. I thought, you know what, it's way harder, way more fun, and way more kind of risky to sit here and learn how to make a really good jacket and design it and toil with it and figure it out. And then offer, you know, a line of outerwear. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's what we did. And um, that's what we wanted to do. Because, you know, from the beginning for me, the full vision of the brand, the lane of selling it wasn't really what streetwear is right now. It was something that we kind of jumped into because the train was moving at 100 miles an hour. And the conductor was like, you want in or out? Mm-hmm. And we were like, fuck, we want in. And then after a while, we were like, eh, we don't really belong here. And to be honest, it's 2014 now. We don't really belong anywhere still. Yeah. And um, I mention this every time I talk about this shit. And I can't believe I do it. But like, you know, culture and, and, and kids and people 
have a really hard time uh, seeing themselves kind of breaking boundaries or stepping out of line. You know, if you're a skateboarder, you don't do this. And if you're, you know, a hip hop guy, you don't wear that or talk about this. There's just these lines and they exist, I think, because if you did, you'd get ridiculed. Mm-hmm. And every day we move forward kind of as a society, they get blurred. But it takes people like Kanye West to just say like, fuck it, I could care less what you think. I'm going to do this to have people understand that it's okay. Mm-hmm. I remember when Pharrell was like, I'm a skateboarder. And everyone in the skate community was like, fuck you, are you kidding me? You're not a skateboarder. I, it doesn't matter if he is or not. He let, you know, the, 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 like hip-hop be okay with skateboarding and vice versa. Yeah. And then it fused these two kids who, you know, used to joan on each other and be like, okay. And now it created a whole new market in clothing. And I think that, you know, for what I do, for the brand, Durkle, I'm kind of blessed enough to understand kind of it has a, a lot of different scenes and that's kind of how I grew up mm. and that's what kind of makes up the company now is that we don't really lean hip-hop we don't really lean menswear we don't really fit into any of those categories we kind of fit into all of them and um, I think that is a piece of what we fight for every day and that is you know, when you call a store and they're like, your stuff's way too street for us. Mm-hmm. It just feeds the fire. And then you call a street store and they're like, what are, am I supposed to, I'm supposed to sell like a $300 down vest? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. And they're like, fuck, like wrong store. Um, but, you know, it's all happening right now. Mm-hmm. 2014, good God, like you, you watch it right now. Menswear wants to get street, streetwear wants to get menswear. You yeah, know? yeah. Kids that have been, you know, loyal to the streetwear community and these brands are realizing now, like, they're getting older and what do they do? They want to dress a little better, but they don't want to get out of street. So what do you do? And, you know, so we're kind of, we're creating a brand that we like to call a graduation from streetwear. Yeah. And, you know, like I was saying before, I think a lot of kids that got into streetwear in like the, you know, 05 to 2010 were graduating from LRG. And LRG was the, so important for linking street with urban. Mm-hmm. You know, LRG was right in that urban lane. It was the cool echo for a while. Mm-hmm. And from LRG had skate in it. And then from there, people started getting into smaller independent brands. And I think that we're positioned in a way that as streetwear keeps maturing and getting, you know, changing its face, um, we're kind of right there to be the next step, which is, you know, a little more than just printed t-shirts. Yeah. 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 Basically. So now, you know, what do what do you, what do you do to make sure that, you know, in this day and age in 2014, there's so many brands, there's all this, you just, it's like an overdose of options. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? There's so much. What do you do to make sure that, Durkle is more than just clothes on somebody's back, but you know that there's a certain connection that people feel with the brand because I know you know you have told me before that it's bigger than clothes for you now. And what what exactly? Yeah, what what is the mission now in 2014 present day 
that you feel that, that you're trying to accomplish with Durkle? Um, well, I think after a while I realized that a lot of this has to do with Washington. And the same for the same reasons I'm there, I'm kind of doing this brand, and that is... Um, there's like a mission to be done there. There's so many fucking creative people there. There's so many cool people there. There's so much amazing shit going on. And there's no... There's literally... To break it down to like... There's no one with a bullhorn. Number one, talking about it. And number two, thanking them. And encouraging people. And saying, yo, when you do get that track done, don't then jump somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do it here. And have pride in here. Because you can. And... Fuck. What DC looks like right now is... Are we allowed to curse? Yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) I'm a dirty mouth. So, you know, DC's a totally different place. I don't even recognize it. When I go back, I'm there 10 days every month. And I don't recognize it every single time I go back. Because, you know, I remember living in these places and being like, number one, this is not safe. Number two, this is just dirty and like, this is crazy. (laughs) And now you go there and there's like, these places are probably worth millions of dollars. Yeah. And it's so amazing to see kind of what my young, wild-eyed kid thought could happen with a little bit of love, a little bit of encouragement, and a little bit of, you know, people kind of banding together and seeing the beauty in it. Mm -hmm. And it's happening. And so the greater mission is to, I think teach people inside of Washington why not mm. I whenever I do an interview people say so you're from uh, New York I'm like nah they're like where are you from again Washington DC oh yeah so the so wait Washington DC fashion mm. yeah and I'm like it's yeah. totally unorthodox yeah they're like so yes. why would you why? like kind of like cut the cut for a minute they're like yeah. how would you do it there yeah and the answer is why not and if I do it there, others will. And if others will, then fuck, there's a fashion scene. And it's what Wale did with music. Wale is, you know, he says this all the time and people kind of joan on him. But it's like, it's hard to carry a city on your shoulders, you know. You're the first dude out getting huge, putting the city on the map. And now, look, there's tons of kids coming out of Washington now that have got eyes on them. And I think that... Once you start the media talking about a thing, it becomes real. Washington now is a place that A&R guys are going to look for talent. Yeah. Before Wale, maybe. But like, why would you spend, you know, for every 20 days they spend in New York, they spent a day in D.C. Yeah. And I think that, you know, someone needs to actually represent Washington. And it's something that... Um, you know, I'm not the most public guy personally. I don't think we've ever spent one dollar marketing the brand. Certainly not advertising the brand. We don't yeah. do shit. Yeah. All I, all we try to do is be authentic, make really good product, and shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that I think that's just my personality. Is like if it's good, it'll work. If it's not, it's not. And um, I think that that's the mentality in Washington. And, you know, it's like there's so much going on there. There's so much cool shit. There's so much to be found. 
people just don't talk about it. They're not self-promoters. They don't, you know, they're not actively trying to hype what they have going on. And I think that that, that then gets lost in translation. And so kind of my bigger goal is to do this. Say why not. Yeah. And prove kind of to a lot of people that you can. Fuck, I didn't... Who am I? Yeah. That, man, that's that's literally why... That's why I create a lot of the art that I create, man. It's like, that's why I do this podcast. That's why I do a lot of the type of videos that I do. That's why, yeah. like, you know, my films look the way they do. It's all... That's why I throw the, a type of party that is, you know, inclusive of everybody and not exclusive because it's like, why not do this and why not let people know that they can do anything? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I just try to use things as a catalyst to get other people to just think about things. It's like, there's so much shit that's pointing you in the wrong direction. I know. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, everything. Yes. Everything you've learned to take... As like a wise word is pointing you in the wrong direction. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like <laughs> it's like live this lifestyle so you can be comfortable. Get this job, go to school, get this job, and have this family. And it's like things that it, it's not a, it's not a blanket like lifestyle and statement you can just put on everybody to do. And it doesn't equate to like them being happy. Most of the time, yeah. it equates to a piss poor life that you hate. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Yeah, man. I, I, I think that that is essentially Dude, what that's, it's all about. that's why we connect. Yeah. You, uh, you do what you believe. And as you know, doors shut yeah. when you do what you believe. And someone says, you know, all right, you're, you're great for the job. Now we need to do this. And you're like, yo, I don't think that's the way to do it. And they're like, think it out. Yep. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Yep. I've had billions of stories say that to me. What, you're going to fuse menswear and streetwear? Like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Put, like, a weed leaf on a shirt and sell millions of it. That's what yeah. we want. And, again, for me personally, I think it's the same for you. Is like, if someone said to me tomorrow, put a weed leaf on a shirt, sell millions, you'll just be the face or you'll just be whatever. I'll give you a fucking job here and you'll make like 60 grand and you'll, and you'll sit in a, or fuck it, a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be it. I would not do it. Yeah. It has to not be about money. Yeah. And you know, again, those are some of the biggest forks that come in the road with anyone in creative. It's like you learn that now I know how to basically do it. You know, if yeah. I wanted to start a, stereotypical streetwear brand tomorrow and make a shitload of money I think I would know how to do it yeah and people are doing it (laughs) every day but it's gotta be more than that and so it's weird like the way that I like to work and the way that I think that serves you know especially Washington but kind of the creative scene in general is before you want to do the next step stop Think about where the next step came from and then rebuild the next step rather than uh, just do the next step. Mm. And so, for example, we're building a place called Maketo right now. Maketo is, I'm going to describe it the best I can. It's a communal marketplace and lifestyle brand based in Washington. And it's 6,000 square feet. It's a big space. And um, 
the initial idea was Durkel needs to open a retail store. Mm-hmm. So to open a retail store, you rent a space that has a bunch of white walls and you either spend a lot of money or a little money building it out into your retail space and then you open and you put a cashier there and you put some hats behind the counter and traditional street traditional yeah. street or any store I mean yeah, yeah in general just a, just a store you know yeah. and so for me it was like fuck instead of just doing the next step which is opening a store let's go a step back and say what is a retail store and then say maybe we could do it better just like we did with streetwear, which was like, what is streetwear? Printed t-shirts? Who could have the coolest crew? And who could make, and who could put the most like offensive shit on clothes? The race to the top will take 10 minutes with the internet right now. So why don't we take a step back and do something different, which is like, let's try to sell menswear in a street market. Let's try to sell nice shit. Let's try to tell, let's try to encourage people to dress a little bit better in an industry that doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and the same thing for the retail store. We're like, fuck. What if we try to recreate retail? What if we try to think outside the box here and do something a little bit, you know, different instead of following the streetwear checklist, which is, you know, start with this, get this person to wear it, get on this blog, uh, sell to this store online, sell to this store in Japan. And then, you know, hire this model, hire this photographer, do a release party, do a pop-up shop, open yeah. a little store. Yep. I mean, it's a checklist for every, you know, industry. Yeah. And so, I fucking hate those checklists. Yeah, yeah. People meet me and they're like, dude, I don't even, where did you come from? Like, you know, like, fuck that. <laughs> fuck the lanes, dude. Yeah, you, I mean, lane, you are definitely man. the anti, uh, sort of, establishment and like, yeah, like lane of doing anything. It's yeah. just untradition. Yeah, you're. I don't like the lanes. <laughs> I don't like to be defined because, like we said before, just getting defined is is people kind of telling you what it's just marketing. Mm-hmm. Well, does that okay? So does that help or hurt the brand? I mean, I I think to me that helps the brand, but how does if the brand is not defined, then how it does both. Yeah, exactly. Because I, on the one hand, I, my next question was like, well, how did, how does Dirk will not become Averex? Or, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, it's almost like, you know, I, and this is not like a, a anything, don't take this the wrong way, but I feel like Dirk will never be as big as Averex. And I don't no, think you never. want it to ever be as big as Averex. You no. know what I mean? So it couldn't, it couldn't have the fall off that Averex has. Well, so, okay. So chapter... Final chapter in the streetwear history story. Yeah. Streetwear is huge right now. People that have brands in streetwear that are killing it are talking to private equity. Wall Street is calling. Yeah. If you do this well, if you are successful in this business on a mass quantity, there is a lot of money to be made. We're talking about like, now this is diamond, hundreds, I don't guys know. like this. I don't know for sure, but yeah. I know that those guys are doing well. I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that private equity knocks on their door yeah. almost every month. Um, I know some people in the industry that are getting to that point and <clears throat> because it's too good. The margins are too good in fashion. Mm. It's just very, very, very hard to get there. Yeah, low cost to make it. Yeah. You can kind of you choose your choose price. whatever you want to sell it at. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so 
getting that huge is just not fun. Mm. Like, it fucking sucks. Um, the money's cool, and you might be able to buy yourself, like, a cool Mercedes, but I, that's not kind of the mission. Um, honestly, if I could make a little bit of money, that would be cool. If I could have everyone in Washington starting brands and getting looked at just like everyone else and having independently owned restaurants and bars and stuff like that kind of combat the huge influx of like corporate bullshit that's invading Washington right now, I'd be so happy. I used to say, um, like people would say, uh, you know, what's your dream of Washington? And I'd say, you know, Portland. Mm-hmm. Portland was this little town that no one talked about. And then everyone was like, wait a second. There are these little, there's these chefs that have like egg beater tattoos. They fucking love cooking. Yeah, that much. And they're making yeah. the best food in America. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're little boutiques of people who are just like making awesome shit and crafting and yeah. like taking this back to this independent spirit and... Honestly, I think today, with so much emphasis on basically disconnecting, yeah, that connecting with someone in an organic way and an authentic way is like internet v3. Is like at the end of the day, people are starting to be like, wait, I have a bunch of friends on Facebook, and I'm competing with all my friends to get more and more friends, but I don't know any of them. I just had a conversation with. Uh... <laughs> Shout out to my man Theophilus Martins, man. We were talking about like how we just wanted to meet today, yeah. Because you know he was like, "Yo, man, I live out here. You live out here. We haven't talked in a while. I could send you an email and catch yeah. up like that, but why? You know, it's like let's just That's connect. The shit to do. Yeah, it's but it's, it's not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really not. It's like, but people people make meeting hard when it's like that. That's how we used to interact and communicate before all this, yeah. you know, craziness in general. It's like think about like, when I was in school, I would come home. I mean, I wouldn't even. I would like call my mom from a payphone and be like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'll be home at this time." Yeah, you know. And now, like, if I don't call my mom in three days, she's like, "Oh, you okay?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's 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 just crazy, man. But uh, but I, I think that people are putting. I think it's getting more and more tangible when a business is out for money. It just looks like it, you know? Um, Yeah. You can tell, you can tell some, someone that's designing for a market. You can tell someone who's like, fuck it. I have a point of view and I'm selling this shit. This is what I'm going for. This is what I believe in. This is what I work my ass off to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm 33. I could go get a job and make so much money. I'm positive. Mm -hmm. But... You know, there has to be something that drives you more. And I think that um, for me, it's number one, I fucking love it. Somehow I found my way into an industry that creating garments is like, I don't know, just I fucking love it. Um, Number two, watching DC come as far as it has and knowing that we've had a piece of that, like almost makes me cry. Um, and then number three, understanding that this little market that we kind of were in, the streetwear market has gotten so goddamn big. It's yeah, like you were, you were there, you, you were there through kind of the, the beginning of it, watching it kind of rise. It's like, 
those three things are, I think, the keys to kind of where we are currently in mm-hmm. kind of understanding that, you know, there's endless possibilities now. Yeah. Man, I feel the same way about, like, internet video. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, when I was doing it and when I was starting off, I was 19, man, and, yeah. like, nobody was putting out videos on a weekly basis. Yeah. Like, there weren't really internet shows. I was trying to make, like, basically TV shows with my little bootleg camera online, and, like, there wasn't a lot of people, especially not in the hip-hop scene, and now there's, like... Mm-hmm. And it's just an overload of all these, but it's it's dope because it's like, man, I was there in the early days of that, and it's like proof. You can go like look it up. You well, know? it's funny. It's like all this shit sounds so uh, what do you call it? cliched? Because yeah. like, usually cliches are true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, you can sit and lay in your bed and be like, this bed's a piece of shit. I have no fucking money. I'm not where I wanted to be. I thought I'd be, you know, a billionaire by now. But fuck, like, I love interviewing people. And fuck, remember when I started? I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And you realize that you're a part of this kind of, like, build. I mean, now there's shows on the internet. Yeah, like, full-fledged productions. Yeah. Yeah. And you realize that, like, the, I don't know, just, like, the come up and... The risks you take every day to be a part of it and do what you love is the fun of it, you know? That's like, it. My hair is gray right now because yeah. it's so fucking stressful doing yeah. what I do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, trying to balance 20 million things, open a shop in Washington, flying yeah. back and forth and warehousing here. And But goddamn. It's, it's a rush, man. Yeah. So before we wrap this up, man, I, yeah. you got to talk to me. Well, I know. So you got to talk to them a little bit more about the store, man. Yeah. And uh, and what is this thing going to exactly look like? You were touching on it a little bit, but yeah. it's going to be retail so, Yeah, food. so our, what is it, first, second, fourth office was where I met you yeah. on I Street. Oh. Um, and we just started basically opening the doors a lot like Friday, Saturday doors open all the time basically and uh, it was like an accidental way to meet kids like you who were coming up and trying to you know do their own thing and it was exactly what we wanted to be doing and that was contributing somehow having some sort of central location where people with crazy ideas down to you know other brands that were starting and have some sort of support system where it was like Yo, I'm 19, I'm going to Howard, I'm interviewing people, my parents think I'm crazy, I'm fucking broke, and we were like, that's tight. Yeah. (laughs) And I realized then that, like, we weren't alone. And so, in opening a store, we were like, we wanted this place to be, you know, not a shop with a bench outside where kids can come and loiter. We want an actual space that encourages a communal kind of vibe. And so um, we came into this amazing opportunity to basically build and open this huge space. And um, we're like three quarters of the way done now. It's called Maketo. It's on H Street Northeast, which to me is like a a little outpost of a Portland-esque street. You know, it's where independent 
bars and people like me can actually exist because it's not so goddamn expensive yet. Relative. To yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, DC's expensive. Yeah. It's crazy. Damn so, expensive. Um, yeah, so Maketo is 6,000 square feet. It's two buildings, patio in the middle. Um, Eric Bruner Yang and I uh, started this whole thing. He is the owner and chef at Tokyo Underground, which is like a block and a half away. It's his uh, Taiwanese ramen and dumpling spot that's wildly successful. Um, and so we are building a restaurant, retail store, cafe, and bar all in this space that all is interactive and, commu and communal with everything. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, there's not a retail store that you walk into and you can walk out of without interacting with everything else. Yeah. You, you kind of, the point of it is, is um, we want the community to have a place to come. And it's very inclusive. A lot of these streetwear stores and a lot of these stores and cool guy haunts are something that I'm not very into. Um, you know, this place is for for everyone. We encourage people to come loiter. Yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah. we want. We want we want an outpost mm -hmm. of a place that you know secondarily kind of exudes this acceptance of this new generation of Washingtonians that are you know into stuff. I you couldn't I couldn't write how many times I've heard people say, you know, have you ever been to this spot in New York? Yeah. And have you ever been to this spot in London or this place in Tokyo? And um so when Eric and I sat down to build this place and design it, I was like, tell me what, you know, it's me, Eric and the architect and I said, what is holding us back from designing and creating a uh, new concept of retail and restaurant that isn't a reference point all over the world. Mm. Fuck just being a cool spot in Washington. I want yeah. this to be a cool spot in America and internationally. Yeah. I want this spot to be something that lets, lets a whole new way of experiencing retail happen again. And so, fuck, I think we nailed it. I've, I've never been involved in a project that you know, had an, an amazing team and, uh, like, a, like an incredibly seasoned and smart and talented team. Um, yeah. Cause and it's unbelievable when that happens. Eric already has something. Oh have yeah. An architect. Yeah. This is, this is now. I'm so used to piecing like, shit together. Yeah, exactly. like, with like twine. Like this is real, this, this is, is real, real shit. shit. Yeah. yeah. I feel like a, 10 year old sitting in these meetings I'm 33 sitting in these meetings and with the big boys yeah and um, so I mean it's gonna be incredible it's gonna be a place that people say all the time it's so funny when when we did our first release of what we were doing I got maybe a hundred emails and most of them were links to articles saying retail's dead <laughs> and I was like Here's the thing, like we talk about, you know, people read that shit and they tell their friend that and their friend tells their friend that. And the next thing you know, I think Conan used to do a, 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 a skit like this where it was just like headlines being read at a, a, a news station and they all read the same ones. Yeah. It's just off a press release. It's ridiculous. It's retarded. 
And so like the it's like the fucking BuzzFeed age. Yeah. Next yeah. thing you know, retail's dead, and it's like, okay, let's just think about this for a second. There is, what's the word over trillion? Like gazillion dollars in square feet of retail space in America, in the world. Mm-hmm. What's gonna happen? We're just gonna black out the windows yeah. and be like, shop online. <laughs> People, these spaces are needed, mm-hmm. and. What's broken is people copying and pasting retail stores. Like I was saying before, is like we didn't want to just have a white wall to put your clothes in and have people come in and buy it traditionally because that's just that's just not where we are now. People need an experience. Why would you? Why would I go to the Durkle store and buy Durkle? I'll buy it online. Yeah. Or I'll buy it near me. Why would I spend time to come all the way down there? And the answer is is because we're going to give you an experience. And the experience is going to be something that is a lot of money in the build, a lot of money in designing like an amazing space, giving you the added bonus of having, you know, coffee there and, you know, a big wide open like mini ball mm-hmm. in the middle of Washington. And um, things like that. I think that's the future of retail is giving people other reasons to go other than the products are the same and you can buy online. Yeah. And, and people can just stumble on things as well. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I just am going to drink a coffee, but I'm like, oh, this shirt is hot, I'll just pick it up on like, the way out. Like when I go eat sometimes, my girlfriend will be like, where do you want to eat? I'm like, you know what? I don't even care what the fuck we eat. I want to go to a place that's yeah. like kind of dark, quiet, where I can like, Relax and not hear like the experience, yeah, the vibe, yeah. And I think that shopping, same thing. People need that coffee, same thing. Um, drinking, all that kind of shit. And I think that, you know, especially Washington, that's like, I don't know, segregated the right word. Still, just like people don't fuck with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's like the small fish or the big fish small pond thing where like everyone that's doing something thinks they own it. Yeah. So it'd be me being like, fuck everybody, the brand, that's my thing. It's like, no, this is what we need. Brands like me need other brands and support them because that is what brings a city up Mm -hmm. and that's what helps everyone. And if that, people think that takes dollars out of their pocket, they can have those dollars out of my pocket. I don't care. It's more about getting on the radar and becoming this kind of like community and um that was the goal that we were trying to do going into this in terms of location build style partners everything and you know watching it happen is kind of a dream this place is looking really good and as of now what what data are we looking at right now i'm not allowed to even say a date anymore (laughs) okay so well can we at least say 2014. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, we were supposed to do what? I think we were supposed to do April. March or April. And who knows? So shit, com- shit comes up in a build that you wouldn't even believe. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Craziest shit that I don't even want to get into. But long story short, it is a huge project. I had no idea getting into this what that meant because I've never mm-hmm. done something like this. But we are basically taking every piece of everything out of that building except bricks and replacing it with steel (laughs) (laughs) and building structures. So it's a pain in the ass. I'm not really mad. We've been delayed for a while, but it's just kept me back from, you know, the ultimate 
in reality, I was supposed to move the office to L.A. because that's where all of our goods come through from the east through Long Beach, warehouse them here, mm-hmm. establish a staff here, and then go back and open Maketo within a year. Mm. But it's been delayed for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And so, anyways. But this is it, man. Like you said, this is the journey, so. Yeah, this is the fun part. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, not the fun part, but when you look yeah, back at the fun part. when you part, look back at it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, nah, man, I mean, just, this is exactly what this podcast is about, man. It's about, you know, like, these type of stories of people who, man, like, you were designing stuff in your mom's crib. <laughs> and now you're about to open a store in D.C. And you're staying in D.C., the place that you're from, the place that you love, the place that you want to see, yeah. you know, rise and, and, and contribute things. Because there's so many people in D.C. that can contribute things to the yeah, world. for sure. And, you know, you're one of those dudes that's, like, really waving a flag for, for that, man. And so are you. creative shit in D.C. Thank you, man. Yeah. So that's it, man. That's another episode of Words with Friends. Ladies and gentlemen, right. Will. Tell them how they can find out more about Durkle. Um, you go to Durkle.com, spelled D-U-R-K-L.com. You guys know where to find me, Twitter.com slash Jabari, YouTube.com slash Jabari. Go check out some of my films, check out my web series, follow me, Jabari Presents, all the other stuff that's on there. Big news, though, for everybody, uh, we are on iTunes now. The Words with Friends podcast is now on iTunes. So those of you that listen to iTunes podcasts, go to iTunes and search Words with Friends. Subscribe to my podcast and leave a rating, all right? Leave us five stars. Let us know what you think in the comment section. Leave a comment. That lets people know about the podcast. And the better comments we get, the more people can see it in iTunes, the more people can listen to this stuff. And we'll just spread the goodness all around. Um, Also, we are on Stitcher Radio now, all right? That's two different distribution platforms that Words With Friends is now on. So iTunes and Stitcher Radio, uh, however you're listening to podcasts, go do that. Uh, And then listen to us on SoundCloud as well, if you guys have just been doing that. Um, And another thing, I want you guys to let me know. I've been getting so many Twitter comments and uh, just just people reaching out about the show, and I want you guys to shoot me an email. If you guys have any creative questions, if you guys have something you know that you're working on, something that you need a little advice on, shoot me an email, jabari at iamjabari.com, and uh, I'll try to get some of my guests to answer questions as well as me and give you a little insight. Um, we might do that once a week and you know just see where it goes, but let me know. Uh, what you guys are thinking about the show as well. If you want to just send some love my way, you know, positive words, positive vibes, um, jabari at iamjabari.com. Again, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Thank you guys for listening. Peace.